So the background is this this guy named Kevin Van Trump. He is probably in his 50s, late mid to late 50s. Um, and he basically, I think he worked in Chicago on like the commodities, like trading floor. So he like traded yes. commodities, but he's got a relatively thick Southern accent. Right. So he goes to Chicago. He probably makes eight figures trading commodities. So he like sounds like this country bumpkin farmer, but like, you know, he's trading like corn futures and shit like that and makes a lot of money. Then maybe 10 years ago, he starts this daily newsletter where he writes the whole thing by himself every single day at this point. For like 17 years, he's done that. Is it 17 years? Something like that. It's like some almost 20 years he's been doing this every day. And it makes like something like in the world of $20 million a year in subscription revenue just more. to read it's more, more now, more now. It, I, I think it's like 30 40 million a, a year now so i've done calls with him and i'm just and, and this guy who's like oh hey check this song bitch out like that's what he'll say yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay so uh i haven't talked to you in like two weeks you had covid you dude are- i had I, I can't even explain what I had. I would apologize because I've missed so many recordings, but in a way you gave me COVID because I got COVID because I went to this conference, which is, a, you know, a decision I made. I didn't really, honestly, I wasn't really thinking about it. COVID has just been so present that I wasn't really like, I didn't do the math of like, you know, if I go on a plane and I go to a conference with 2000 people, what's going to happen. And so sure enough, I go to this conference that Sam hooks me up with. He's like, Sam's like, Hey, this conference is amazing. It's called FarmCon. These guys who run it, there's super cool story. You know, it's awesome. And I was like, oh, I'm in. And I was going to go. And I land and I'm like, yo, I'm here, baby. Let's do this. And Sam's like, oh, I didn't go, dude. I'm, I don't want to get COVID. Well, I can't. I canceled like last minute. I, I dude, like I thought that you knew that I canceled. But how like, would I, how what, would I know that? Because we we had talked about you going, and we hadn't said. I don't know. We had not yeah, really mentioned. You, you like, didn't I'll see you there. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought you knew I canceled, so I felt horrible. But like a week or two prior to to to, that's like when Omnicrom and all this stuff happened. And it's a it's a farmers conference in Kansas City. My, you know, I'm from Missouri. And I was like, ooh, I think that uh, like that COVID will be there. Yeah, and I COVID, don't know if I want COVID was for sure there. It was, the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the main attendee, the main keynote speaker. Um, dude, the, we walked in. So I walk in, me, me, Ben went with me. And so um, we go in and me and Ben are literally the only two people in the room with a mask. And there's like 2,000 people in there. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. I didn't even really think about it. And I was like, oh, fuck, it's here. Um, and I was like, well, the odds of me getting there are pretty high, but I'm now here. So I got to just make the most of it. So anyways, basically I go to this conference, uh, and everything that could happen to get COVID happened. Meaning like, it's like, um, conferences in this ballroom. Great. It's 2000 people in one room. All right. That's not so good. They don't have masks on. Okay. Next thing to happen. I go to the gym in between, uh, like the sessions we were, me and Ben want to get a workout in. We go, we meet this guy, we're making small talk, and we're like, oh, you're here for the conference? He's like, no, I'm just quarantining here. Uh, my girlfriend has COVID, so I'm here. Oh, my God. And I was God. like, bro, I just shook your hand, and we were, oh, what am I doing? And so then this guy, my gym buddy's got COVID. I was like, oh, great. And then I get on the plane finally to come back. I'm like, all right, I think I might have made it out unscathed. I don't know. I'm feeling okay. 
plane gets stuck on the runway for three hours. So I'm on a, on a plane in a closed tube with a bunch of other people for three hours. I was like, all right, it's, it's over. I got COVID. And sure enough, I get home and uh, two days later, I get COVID. The, the dumb thing I didn't do was I didn't quarantine right away, which I should have just done. I should have just said, hey, even if I'm not feeling anything, I've been around a bunch of people. I should just like leave. But I was like, look, I just left my wife at home with the two babies for like, you know, four days. I should come back and help. And in trying to help, I ended up giving my wife COVID. Then we gave both our babies COVID. And so for the last 10 days, it's just been someone in my house has COVID at any given time. Um, and I've just been literally, I haven't gone to a computer. I haven't done anything. I've just Did been ben get it? taking care of it. All right, quick ad break to tell you about our sponsor, HubSpot. I know that growing pains hurt. And when you're a startup sales team, you know that pain all too well. Thankfully, there's HubSpot for startups. It's a special program that gives discounts to use HubSpot. The platform lets you unite your entire front office from sales to marketing all the way to customer support. Plus, they have a ton of resources to help a startup founder scale. So get ready to close more deals and make growing pains a thing of the past. Visit HubSpot.com slash startups to see how much you can save. Ben did not get it. I think Ben had it like a month ago. Um, so he somehow came out unscathed. Did Sully get it? Uh, he didn't go. He didn't end up going. He flaked the night of um, and was like, actually, like, it's super inconvenient to get there. I have to like change my, my flight has like a stopover. Fuck this. I'm not going. Uh, we'll do something else. <laughs> so was it in you? But you were even though you're vaccinated, you got sick. I got pretty I got really sick. Yeah, I got really sick for three days. So let me tell you about my COVID experience. I uh, I got really sick for three days, but it's just the flu with a side dose of paranoia because it's like, oh, this ain't the flu. This is this is yeah. COVID. And so. Uh, definitely, you know, fever, all that good stuff, whatever. Then the babies, everybody had kind of the same thing. But the bad thing is like, I don't know how you are, but I'm like a huge baby when I get sick. Me too. And my wife is like, uh, you know, never gets sick. She's like one of those people just like never gets a cold, never has a runny nose, nothing. And so even with COVID, she was like, she fought it off pretty good. It was like pretty mild. You know, she was still doing like, I I think women are generally tougher, particularly moms are tougher when it comes to that stuff. Totally. But the hard part is when we both get the same thing and I go down like a, you know, bag of bricks and she's, she's like, still staying, Don't complain. Y- yeah. She's just like, what is this? Why are you, why do you need so much sleep right now? And I'm like, I just can't explain. In fact, I saw this meme that was so perfect. He goes, is this guy? <laughs> he goes, he goes, you know, it's so good that women have to give birth uh, and go through labor because now they understand what happens when a man gets a cold. and that's how it is i'm a huge baby about it and she like toughed it out no problem uh so that was kind of embarrassing did um so how many people how many full-time employees work at your um your company uh the uh the the, the d2c company maybe like seven eight full-time and and these in in america americans full-time and you and you like are running not all not all americans but but, you know, people who this is their main job, they work full time. And when you not, do, not counting the warehouse staff and do you like do weekly meetings with them and run it like a, a company or is it really <laughs> no. Sean? If it's run like Sean, like very autonomous, everything done via Slack, very autonomous, everything done via Slack. We have one meeting a week that's in Slack. And I just say, hey, get in this channel right now. We just did it. It was at 1030. It's like, all right, get in this channel right now. And I just say, all right, you, everybody here. And then they just like emoji react. And then I'm like, cool. This is like a real meeting, meaning like don't go open 10 other tabs. Like when I say something, I want a response within like a second because it's like a live chat. I was like, but calls are annoying. We all agree calls are annoying. So let's just like do the, like just humor me. Let's try this meeting style. 
So we do it. I kind of like it. And basically I just say, all right, what's everybody's main priority this week? Like what matters? Everyone's like, oh, we got to do this, this, this. I say, then I'll be like, "Ah, that doesn't really sound that like that matters that much. Can we punt that? They're like, yeah, I guess so. And like, we just agree on here's the three or four things that matter this week. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. And then it's like, cool. I'll, uh, I tell one guy, I say, Hey, check in on Wednesday and everybody just say how they're going on their things for the week. And then check in on Friday and say, how how did we do for the week? That's it. That's how much time does your wife spend on the company? She spends a good amount of time. Like she's, uh, she, you know, she's a stay at home mom, I guess like first job. Cause like, so during the day, she doesn't really work on it too much. Just kind of like on her phone in between, you know, just like watching the baby. But then at night, she basically works from 10 p.m. when the babies are finally knocked out to 2 or 3 a.m. Pretty much every night she does that and she works on the business wow. and does the designs and all that stuff. So when you guys are both sick, how bad? Like who's we did no work. You just, we just, just like you just have a, 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 a person who you trust and you say, just handle it. Wow. We're like, you know, just you do what you can do and then whatever doesn't get done, doesn't get done. Like, we're not going to worry about it. We're not going to add a stress to our life that like says this week we also have to you know, work. It's just impossible. So let's talk about this conference for a second, because I have been telling you about this guy for a long time. And I think that you you humored me and the audience has humored me and they're like, oh, that sounds neat. But when you got to meet him, did you understand what I was saying? Dude, this guy is amazing. This guy is amazing, and what he's built is amazing. So I want to go through. I have a bunch of thoughts, but let's start with with them. Okay, so the conference called FarmCon, and the family is called the, the Van Trump family. Is that's their that's their name? So it's Kevin Van Trump and Jordan Van Trump. Uh, that's like the the two kind of like core principles. That's the father and son. And uh, I'm just going to describe what happened when I got there because it wasn't like a normal conference. So a couple unusual things. I go in. And there's a normal stage, like a conference, you know, like they got that freaking wallpaper behind it. That's like every sponsor's logo on step and repeat banner. Okay, cool. That everything's normal. But the main speaker, <laughs> Kevin Van Trump is sitting not at, uh, not in a chair. He's got this like mahogany desk that was put onto the, onto the stage <laughs> and he's sitting in it. He's, he looks like a judge of a courtroom. So he's got this humongous like oak wood desk table that he's sitting behind in his thing and he's got a gavel literally and he's talking into the mic and he it's like a free form agenda so he'll be like like he would, he would just say something that he'd be like i walked in and he's like yeah that's why i don't hire any ivy leaguers you know ivy leaguers here's the problem with ivy leaguers and he'll just go on a rant there's like five panelists that are sitting there and then he'll just like do tell this story and the crowd loves him i loved him he is an amazing charismatic speaker who is smart and very real and he's very he's just a very good speaker like his style was yeah. so um likable i couldn't i can't explain so, so he, the background is this this guy named kevin van trump uh, this is all from memory i met him four or five years ago at a conference and since then we i've kind of brought him into our circle of friends he is probably in his 50s late mid to late 50s um and he basically, I think he worked in Chicago on like the commodities, like trading floor. So he like traded yes. commodities, but he's got a relatively thick Southern accent. Kansas City, Missouri isn't really considered the South, but it can be pretty country. So I, but I don't right. know where he's from. So he goes to Chicago. He probably makes eight figures trading commodities. So he like sounds like this country bumpkin farmer, but like, you know, he's trading like corn futures and shit like that. It makes a lot of money. Then... Maybe 10 years ago, he starts this daily newsletter where he writes the whole thing by himself every single day. 
at this point, for like 17 years, he's done that. Is it 17 years? Some, something like that. It's like some almost 20 years he's been doing this every day. And it makes like something like in the world of $20 million a year in subscription revenue just more. to read. It's more, more now. More now. It, I think it's like 30, 40 million a, a year now. So I've done calls with him and I'm just, and, and this guy who's like, Oh, hey, check this song, bitch out. Like, that's what he'll say. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> yeah. like, he, he's like pointing at his new Picasso. So I've done video right. calls with him. And he's got like this like beautiful like chopper in the background, like a fancy customized motorcycle. He goes, oh, we just picked up this song, bitch. We just got this song, bitch, the other day. We really love the Picassos. And he's like, that's right. how he talks. And he's he now his family, uh, Kevin or uh, Jordan, his younger son, runs like this other business. But in this, the commodities world, this like farming world, they are gods. And I've met a bunch of the people who like them. And they're like New York-ish type folks who have like 50, $100 million and are like traders. And they like revere him and they love him. Dude, so so have you read any of his newsletters? They're so good. Yeah, must paint for, subscribers. First, they're like, you know, it's like, it's like a 20-page PDF. So it's like not even like a, a short thing. It's like a long thing. And it's like he basically is writing about what he thinks is going on. So uh, in the market. So he'll be like, you know bean futures or you know rice or corn these different commodities he's talking about what's going on is really important for people in agriculture because if you're a farmer and you're making you're growing corn you got to decide do i hold this corn and try to sell it myself do i need to take on some insurance in case the price of corn drops and um should i sell you know all of my corn you know in these futures in this futures market or should I, um, you know, should I hedge, but should I take a hedged position against what I'm producing? And so you have to decide what you're going to do with your crop. That is your, like for most people, investing is this like side thing. It's like you do your job that earns you your money, your business that earns you your money, and then you invest in the stock market and whatever. They're two separated things. For a farmer, these are not separated. This is part of the like core thing of what you do is basically managing your risk. And these aren't guys that have like a farm that like they just like get by. These are like folks that like supply the corn to like McDonald's. And we're talking like they have turnover of 20, well, 30, 50 it, million it dollars a year. Like they're here's that. Yeah. He's like, you know, you'll meet the guy who makes all the rice for Chipotle. It's yeah. like, whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy volume. And then I would meet people who were like what you call gentlemen farmers. They're basically people who don't need to farm. They just grew up that way. And they're like, yeah, my family, I like living on a farm. I want my family to have a farm. I farm on my weekends and nights. Like there's one guy, he's a CEO of a large company and he was just farming for fun, you know, nights and weekends. And that's why he was, you know, like there. And it was like such a bad use of like time, but it's not, it's a, it's not a bad use of time. Cause it's a hobby. It's a pleasurable thing for him. What this manual work is like how he relaxes. All right, everyone, a quick break, because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called MoneyWise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10000 30000 50000 And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called MoneyWise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called Money Wise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr. Or you can just type in Money Wise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. 
Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the, the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. How many and people were there? So it was about 1,500 people. And um, so let me explain this guy, their business. Okay, so they have what I'll call three separate components, maybe four. Okay, so there's the newsletter, the paid newsletter that basically you subscribe to, you pay $1,000 a year. And I think, I believe, I might guess, based on some triangulation, is that that's making about 30 to $40 million a year now in annual subscription revenue. And he's writing that, he, you know, like we'd be hanging out. It was like maybe midnight. He's at the hotel bar or whatever we're hanging out. And, he's, and I was like, so... Like, you know, who on your team writes the letter? He's like, <laughs> he's like, I wish, you know, I, I write the letter. He's like, I, I got to go right up to my room right after this. Go write that some bitch. And he's like, you know, that's how he talks. And, yeah, he's like, he's like, I don't know why the fuck I did this. And he's like, I created a job for myself. He's like, I told my kid, my son, I said, you, you need to, the best job in the world is investing. You should invest. Don't do what I did. I created a job for myself and I have to write this thing every day. But, you know, you know, I love it, whatever. And it's and, really uh, ugly. Have you seen it? It's like it's not mobile <laughs> friendly. It's just a PDF <laughs> and it's like 3000 words with like PowerPoint uh, it's images. It's all substance over style. Uh, there's a few memes in there, which I like. Uh, it, it's like, you know, just some, here's some jokes. Uh, and I think that's very on brand. But it is good. Him. The writing's great. The writing is really great, uh, and the the insights obviously matter. Otherwise, people wouldn't be paying for this thing, right? They're genuinely getting value. And at the conference, he's a god, dude. People people love this guy. They they respect his kind of like knowledge and his content, and then they just really like him because again, he would say I I literally wrote down verbatim things that he was saying because I was like, this is just like this is so entertaining. (laughs) Like for example. I'm just going to read you a couple of quotes on, uh, that he was saying. So he's like, I hate high, hiring Ivy Leaguers because uh, they're too afraid of failure. He's like, they're done, well, they're done so well their whole life. They're not, they're not used to looking wrong or looking silly. You know, go try NFTs. Go, go, go put your hands on the wheel. Go, get, go, go fall. Go scrape your knee. He's like, that's how I grew up. My, my, he's like, my, my dad would take us in the car. He said, no, no seatbelts, baby. That's how we roll. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, we're going to take some risks. We're going to get skinned up. We're going to break some bones. We're going to fall off the bike. He's like, that's how you got to treat your kids. Even if they're smart kids, you got to, he's like, cause one of the big concerns is how do you get your kid? You're, you're 60 maybe now and you got your farm, your kids 30, they don't want to take over the farm or they don't, maybe they want to, but they don't know how to do anything. And so he's like, he's like, you got to segment off a portion of the farm, let them fail, but let them have the skin in the game. Um, he's like, you know, I want to have kids that don't melt down when the rug gets pulled. I want to be able to go to them and say, Hey, Things, things have changed and we're changing tonight. And he's just like going on this rant and dude, I'm sitting there in the crowd and I'm like, world star. I'm like, this is, a, <laughs> this is such a hype monologue and it had nothing to do with whatever they were talking about, like bean futures five seconds before that. But he would frequently go on these and every time I'm just nodding my head, I'm like, preach. Um, like we, I was at this dinner with him and people were uh, like, it was kind of like these guys had organized this dinner, they're paying for it, but then they, as you know, like sort of what's what's the what's the catch it was we're gonna pitch our idea to, to kevin and a couple other guys who Got we it. want to invest in it and they pitched their idea and he's like cool so who's the uh who's the who's the audience who's, who's the customer for this and uh 
they're like, well, you know, uh, we've done extensive psychographic research. Here's a, and they slid over this thing. He's like, psychographic. I, I don't know what that means, man. What the fuck are you saying? Who is the customer? And they're like, it's, it's not demographic. He's like, it's a psychographic profile. He's like, no, like name them. Do you know five people who want this product? Like, would this guy want this product? Hey, you over there at the table, would you want this product? And the guy's like, no, nah, I wouldn't want it. <laughs> and, he's just like, <laughs> and, the, and the guys are like, Kevin, you're not like being open-minded. And he's like, I'm trying to help y'all. He's like, I've heard this idea 10 times and it failed. I invested in this one. It failed. I invested in this one. It and then why did it fail? Because there was no customer for this product. And he's like trying to give them real talk. And it was so good. And the whole time I'm just like, wow, this guy's core business instincts are very strong. And his delivery method is fearless. I just, I, I'm trying to do the impression because I want people to feel like what it felt like to hear this guy off the top of his head. It's so different than corporate America. It's so different than New York SF where everybody's hedging every word and packaging everything and trying to deliver it and trying to make these fucking, you know, like criticism sandwiches where you say a positive thing, then a negative thing, then a positive thing to like, you know, deliver the blow. Whereas he would just say the thing and he did it in a way that came off great. I loved it. What? Uh, all right. So you have a list of a bunch of shit that you've learned here. Let's just rattle them off. Well, I found them to be all, all wildly interesting. Let's do a couple things. So the rest of his business. So he tells me, so he goes, I'm doing, I, I, I got the, I, I know for sure his build, business was doing in the $25 million range years ago. Right. So that's, so there's the newsletter component. Yeah. Then he's like, well, two you know, employees, this, by the way, I think he's like, two. right. And he, he's like, you know, I don't, uh, there's never been a sponsor. 15 years. John Deere comes to me. They say, we would love to sponsor. No. Trust for the audience. He, he had these principles. He was like, I, these people are going to trust me because I'm not going to be selling them to somebody. And so um, he was like, you know, I'm going to do it this way and I'm going to stick to my guns. And so, and he's never done a, never like run ads to advertise this thing. It's all organic word of mouth. One person sharing it with another saying, you got to check this thing out, forwarding it to somebody else saying, Hey, you see what he's saying about where the market's going. And then that person's like, shit, I need these insights. And so that's an amazing you know, that's probably 90% profit, <laughs> 95% profit, like More. on that, on that 30 million, I, right? Like I, I think ridiculous. Uses, I like what someone's talking about, which email, like it's so raw. I think he uses <laughs> Salesforce to send it out. Right. Like that's his Something email crazy. service provider. Like it's pretty raw. So then the second piece of the business is, I, I think that there's now a secondary thing that's happened many, many years in, which is like a big company will come to them and say, Hey, you know, let's just, I'm just going to, for, for argument's sake. Chipotle's like, hey, we need um, we need somebody who's going to grow soy in this region. So he's just like, hey, I know, like, they're like, you know everybody. And so he's like, cool, yeah, I can find you people who can produce what you need. And they were like, cool, if we pay them, let's call it $5, $5 a bushel, you know, we'll make it $5.50 and you keep your $0.50 cents as the as a broker fee. So I think that now produces as much as the newsletter. So, so let's <laughs> double it, basically. Let's tack that on. Um, now, the third thing is investing. So they basically had this, you know, they're like, well, everybody keeps coming to pitch us ag tech. They don't, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. We know everybody in this space. So they then started investing. And I think they just had their biggest hit. There's something called Benson Hill or Benson's Hill or something like that that went public. Um, so, you know, like the first kind of like public unicorn that they seeded. And the last one is the most interesting one of all. This is what the sun is doing. So do ag you know swag. about this? Yeah, ag swag. So here's the backstory that he tells about this. And I, I'm not sharing anything private. Like he told us on stage, he goes, I met a guy who he like moved into my neighborhood type of thing. And he used to be, you know, big shot exec at some company. 
And he's like, cool. Like, what are you doing now? He's like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm doing this kind of like either this buyout, like leverage buyout, or I'm going to become a CEO of this company called American Identity. We make T-shirts and hats. And he's like, all right, kind of lame. Like, <laughs> you're selling yeah. T-shirts now? Like, you've done some big shit. Why are you doing that? A few years later, fast forward, that company, American Identity, Identity sells to Staples for $8 billion. And he, he looks at that. He's like, what the hell? He's like, that T-shirt company? What, 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 the hats? Custom hats? Like, what, what, do you, what the fuck? And he's basically like, yeah. Um, he's like, who are your biggest customers? He's like, oh, yeah, my three biggest customers are Cargill, ADM, and John Deere. And he's like, like uniforms. What's that? Is that are they making uniforms or they're just making licensed merchandise? So like, I if think you buy like, John, John Deere, they're just are printing it for for them. They're printing. They're making it for John Deere. John Deere might have employees. They, they have you know two thousand employees. They want to send like a John Deere hat or a vest with a, John, a green yeah. John Deere vest or whatever. And so he's like, those are your top. Those are your biggest accounts. Like those are my buddies. Um, like I know all those guys. And so after they sell or whatever, is him and his son they create. Ag swag, agricultural swag. It's the same idea, but now they go to all those accounts and they say, hey, you want like vests and, and fleece and hats and whatever. And you got, you know, 100 employees in your office in Brazil. You need to send some stuff to. Cool. We got you. And I think this is going to be a really big business also. And so they are doing very well. He was saying they you know, outgrew their, their warehouse. They're, they're trying to, you know, expand and all this. He was telling me, I want to say any of the numbers for that part. He was telling me some of the, just the square footage they need in the warehouse. And I know from the DTC space, I know if you need that much square footage, you are putting out pretty crazy volume. So I thought that was amazing as well. But what an example of just being a big fish in a, and not even a really small pond, right? It seems like a, a niche, but it's like agriculture yeah, is a pretty I, huge I mean, niche. Like, you know, agri- like the, my parents are working in this industry and that's why I like this guy because I got to know him is like the thing that people like, guys like you and me and people listening to this were these tech folks and we dismiss this but like literally everyone in america has an onion in their home or a product <laughs> made of an onion right and you, you're, you're gonna buy it multiple times a week um that's what my dad oh. does my dad sells onions and i remember <laughs> people i would make fun of him and he's like go look in your cabinet you have stuff that i have owned at one point i bet and uh and so it's not as small as we think oh i mean obviously it's not like for example the uh, the founder of square this guy, Jim McAvoy, I want to talk about him too. He's a, He was the keynote speaker. So he comes on the stage. He was also a very good speaker. I'm, I'm And I, I kind of have a high bar for that kind of thing, but he's he was very impressive. And he gets on stage. The very first thing he says is, um, just want to say thank you to everybody in this room for feeding my family. <laughs> you know, it's like, but it's just, it's like such an obvious thing. But I say, like, yeah, of course, where all the shit we eat comes from somewhere. And in my mind, this is going to sound super dumb and ignorant, but it's true, which is like, before this conference, I really spent zero percent of my time thinking about where the heck the food comes, where the heck food comes. And if you thought of a farmer, you probably had stupid stereotypes of like dumb idiots. For sure. For sure. I was like, oh, and, and going into this, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go meet a bunch of hillbilly like rednecks. Yeah. Basically, was my and they do plan. talk like that. I'm from there. <laughs> they they definitely will talk like that, but they like are wearing like a fifty thousand dollar Rolex. And when I get there, they're like, you know. Yeah, you know, put options on bean futures and, you know, with Brazil coming on board, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take this hedged position against corn. And I was like, oh, wait, y'all are like fucking Wall Street traders. Wait, what? And I was like, okay, maybe it's just a couple of these guys. And I was like, and then I would meet guys in the hallway and I'd be like, what do you do? Oh, we haven't my family always owned a farm in South Dakota for, for 40 years. Okay, cool. So I was like, do you do this like kind of like fucking soybean oil futures? And they're like, yeah, you got to. And I was like, what? I was like, how do you know? He's like, well, we got a broker, but like, you know, 
it's key to the business. You got you got to be doing it. And I was like, holy shit. Like you guys are more sophisticated financially than anybody I know. Like I could go to in Silicon Valley, I could go to talk to engineers or, in, or angel investors, VCs. And I could be like, Hey, explain to me how a derivatives contract works or explain to me how a, uh, how the corn futures market looks. Nobody would know what the fuck they're talking about. Nobody would know what to say. Dude, now, now, okay. So you've, you've not made fun of me, but you teased me a little bit about like loving trucks and farmers. Now, do you understand why I think it's so cool? <laughs> like these guys are sophisticated and everything, but like the people you and I hang out with in our, in our coastal, air, coastal cities, they don't give a fuck about these folks. And I'm like, man, if, if you col- got to make those collide and be awesome. Right. And so a couple, a couple of things like on that note. So when I was at one of the dinners, they were talking about, uh, it was the, who's the customer dinner. They were, they're talking about something and they, and something came up, they go, uh, you know, how long he's like, how long we've been here about whole foods and, uh, you know, plant-based this and oat milk that he's like, this is still tiny fringe shit. He goes, America eats corn, bread and milk at scale. This is what America wants. They need th- how much, how much volume is the whole food? And then I'm thinking, dude, in my bubble, everybody eats like that. Everybody yeah. eats the fringe shit. So I'll, it, it was just awareness of like two things. One is like, in the future, maybe what we're doing ends up becoming more mainstream. I, I do believe that. Not. But how not it is, is crazy. The scale, the difference in scale of just like, you know, corn versus, you know, the, the non-whole foods versus whole foods is like, to them, whole foods was this rounding error. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious because to me, it's like, you know, I, <laughs> that's like, I don't know where I shop every day. It's, it's, it's the main thing. And again, all this is going to sound really like dumb, but, uh, I'm dumb. That's, I guess, the answer. <laughs> when I was there, I was learning how dumb I was about everything. Um, there were so many different things like that that I was learning. Can I just rattle off a couple yeah. other things? Okay, I so. Jonathan, write us in the chat. Is this, is this, I, I could talk about this all day. I think this is the coolest shit ever. So I'm going to give you a couple of pain points and or business ideas that I saw or heard when I was there or just am, am making up because like, oh, maybe this. Um, so one thing is, even though I'm like, oh, these guys are really sophisticated. There's no way that they want to be that sophisticated about this. All these like kind of financial uh, products that they have to use for hedging their, the props they produce and the insurance and all that good stuff. So I think that some kind of wealth front type of robo advisor that basically just does all the work for them to manage their risk That's is, um, is going to be like important because every single one of them is like, yeah, we have a broker we call and we talk to him and he tells us X, Y, Z. And uh, he tells us what he, what he thinks we should be doing. And we come up with a position we want to take and then we take it. So that to me set, felt very old. And I feel like if somebody does a real yeah. advisor thing, that's interesting. Kevin Van Trump had an idea. He goes, I want to make a rally road. And I think we've talked about rally road on here, which is basically rally road is like this app. You open up and you can buy a fraction of cool memorabilia. So it'd be like a, a sweet old car or first edition, Harry Potter signed book set. It's and awesome. Could, it's in, in my opinion, Rally Road has one of the best apps I've seen in like the last two or three years. Super nice app. A company I wish I invested in, honestly. Uh, I've been, I feel like I've been saying that for a year. Probably should have just done it at this point. But really cool product, really cool app. So he was saying, he's like, I feel like he's like, I think we could do Rally Road just for our stuff. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, just like the the original you know motorcycle from Dukes and Hazards, or you know, and, and again, I'm all the references flew over my head. He said them really fast, but like. It was basically just, just cool hick shit. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, oh, that's probably actually a really good idea because these guys got money and they care about this stuff. And you, there's a, like a network effect of just 
speaking to that audience. Dude, did, that, didn't I tell you? Um, so uh, you know how I used to work for the show American Pickers. Right. Do you do you, do you, I don't? You were not in the market for no. that because you were in. Uh, were you in Australia at the time? Whatever. But you, if 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 the show was around now, you wouldn't watch that. You don't fit that that bill but do you know that that show american so for those listening i used to work for the show american pickers and it's basically like pawn stars we'd go and out and what buy. did you do for them so the main guy in the show his name is mike wolf he's the main character he owned this store and it was called pickin and so you go and you just knock on doors and you go to barns and you find old memorabilia and you either sell it in your own stores or you sell it to antique shops or you sell it on ebay and like the antique shops they have to get it from somewhere they get it from pickers this guy like would buy old bike bicycles. That's a big market. Or he would buy like a old 1936 Harley for 10 grand and sell it for 30 grand. That type of stuff. And he owned the store and he started filming himself pre YouTube for like five years to make the show popular, pitching it to the History Channel year after year after year, getting declined. Finally, they said, "All right, this is cool. He's a good-looking guy, charismatic guy." They pick up the show. He gets he was not rich off the pick and stuff, but he was like making a living. Gets rich because he. Um, licenses the show he owned he's the producer he owned all the rights i work at the store where we would sell the stuff that he bought the the his picks but so many people would come to the store that basically we sold 30 grand a day of t-shirts and shot glasses wow and because he was like eventually he wouldn't even sell the picks anymore because he was like <laughs> i need i need stuff for people to look at when they're in the store right and he probably made um i mean his business was probably doing 30 40 million dollars a year off all of his whole all his stuff and when the show was on, when the show was live, it's still live now, but it's past its heyday. When it was live, we were the second or third most popular show on TV, on wow. all of TV. And we would have people flying from all over the world just to come and look at the stuff that, I mean, I would have, I, I helped run the store, but like half the time I was just holding the door and making sure that we weren't at capacity. <laughs> and um, the reason I'm bringing this up is this whole rally road for middle America shit. This is the real stuff. And like buying like these rare baseball cars or whatever it is, that's the fringe. And Rally Road has built a great business on top of that. Exactly. And and by the way, if you were going to start this, I would a I'd email Sam and CC me just so I didn't get to know. But B, I would go to these guys like Mike Wolf. I would go find these kind of like all American influencers, and I would use them to help promote the app and help get them on get them on board to to grow this thing. And I think this is kind of like. You go where nobody else is fishing. I think there's just not much competition to build technology products in that space. Um, let me tell you a couple other ideas that were that were in there. So um, any kind of fintech for farmers. So part of it's like this Wealthfront idea, but also just like I've invested in six companies that are all just variations of like, you know, Brex or Mercury Bank. So basically like so there's two startups that got big that were in the that were serving entrepreneur serving tech startups one is mercury which is just saying hey instead of going and using bank of america or wells fargo just use mercury as your bank right we have a slick interface it's a mobile app you never got to talk to a banker you know free wire transfer but it's not like, really a bank it's um they're partnering with another bank and they just layer their branding on top of that bank they're, they're on top exactly um but they've done really well they're now valued over a billion dollars you know this guy who built it imad he's kind of in our in our friends group he's awesome and um you know he's great he came on the pod so uh you know so so mercury is bank for tech startups and then brex was visa for tech startups and same thing not you know they're built on top of the visa rails or the mastercard rails or whatever but it's just a credit card for startups and it was taking advantage of the like hey we understand startups so like for example 
you might be a startup that's raised $10 million of venture capital, but your credit card limit is $5,000 because the bank's like, dude, you have no income, no history, no nothing, no credit. Like, you know, we can't give you money. And there's like, so dude, I just like, raised $10 yeah. million. I have the money in the bank, like in or this bank. They, with uh, they won't cap points on ad, ad spend because they know that startups spend most of their money on ad spend. Exactly. Things like that. Or things like, um, you know, just the fact like, hey, you can fill out the application online. You don't have to talk to a human and it'll be like sent to you in two days. Or like, you know, you want this to like easily autofill online. Like there's do little stuff that, that makes it like work well for that audience. So Mercury for farmers on board. So Brex became a multi-billion dollar thing. Mercury did. And I've been, I've now invested in versions of either Mercury or Brex for teenagers, for teens in India, for businesses in India, for, for Canadians. Creators, creators for, is the one that everyone For creators. About. I did that one creators. too. Make this for food creators. This, it would be, it'd be so much better to food do this. Creators. Yeah. It'd be, yeah. It's going to be creators. That's what we call farmers. Gonna, that's what we call farmers. We're going to yeah. rebrand farming as the creator economy. They're just creating food. Yeah. Yeah. Seed creators. Um, <laughs> dude, it's so much. That would be such a better company. And they're spending a lot of money, right? Because like the, all of it, the equipment, the like, you know, the, the, the fertilizers, these are like huge bulk purchases. Dude, my cousins, I have an aunt and cousin who it's a mom and son. They have 1,500 acres with like 1,000 cattle or so. And I've gone out and hung out with them. And so they basically raise bulls to, it's called bucking bulls. So like at a rodeo, the bull that is <laughs> like, it's called, that, that bull is bucking. And yeah. at a rodeo, the guy, the cowboy who stays on wins money and the bull that bucks the hardest wins money. And you can also make money by if you have a really good buck and bull, you get money by getting its semen out there. And all the females, they kill and turn into beef and they make a living doing this. They're, I don't, they're probably millionaires, but uh, they are fucking hard workers. And when they walk around places like during a workday, because like when you're a farmer, you're constantly driving to get feed, whatever. They'll have 20 G's on them in cash. Wow. Like they just have just like fat loads of like you just need t- <laughs> or like when they go to the rodeo. Rappers and farmers, dude. When dude, when they go to the rodeo, I've seen them. They have like a they've had like 10 grand on them because they got to like buy this while they're there. They got to do this. They got to make their bet. Anyway, these farmers have fuckloads of cash because they are they're still doing stuff with cash. So right. like it, 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 this is an interesting it's a great market. Yeah. With, uh, the other one, if uh, automation. So I think the, the number one thing that was on everybody's mind is automation. How do we. How do we get more automation? So I think from the beginning, technology has helped farms, which is like, you know, before there was tractors, everything was like, you know, horse pulled, you know, and, or whatever. And then tractors come out and it becomes a big deal. And John Deere is trying to do self-driving tractors and everybody's trying to do automation. And so I think if you're sitting at MIT or you're at Carnegie Mellon and you're in some robotics lab and you're like, okay, I can keep making like, you know, things that I understand that are from, you know, this gadget that like turns off my light switch in my room. Cause I don't like to get up once I lay down. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. It's like, dude, instead go to a farm for like three weeks and just watch what's going on. And then from there, come up with the automations and stuff you want to pull. I've invested in a few companies in that space. Um, so it's automations and precision agriculture, they call it. So, um, right. how to, uh, which, I, I think automation falls under precision agriculture. That's like the the term, I believe. And uh, it's incredibly interesting. So like you talk about like automated car, autonomous cars, autonomous tractors is incredibly in, intriguing. Right. And there's also like sensors. So just like soil quality is like the soil health is like one of the most important things. If your soil health is bad, your crop is fucked. And so just being able to come up with models where you can go put sensors in the ground and get real time soil health data 
um, and to alert people, hey, this plot in this area is not going to grow very well because of this. Uh, that also seemed like a big deal. So those are some ideas. The last one is family succession planning. So one of the biggest things was like, how do you pass down your farm? Um, because if your kids don't want to do it and increasingly, you know, kids don't want to do it, um, what the heck are you going to do with this farm? Uh, and so there's like places that you can sell farms. So I think that was one opportunity. There's creating your estate, your will and all that stuff. There's renting it out to other people. There was just a whole bunch of stuff around. Okay. If billions of dollars of farms is going to trade hands in the next like 10, 10 years, who's going to be in the middle of that? Um, and I, I think, think working with remember one, we had one episode where we talked about picking your customer and we were talking about this company user voice or user testing. Which one does yeah. your mom work for? User testing. And I was like, I think that's so cool because it gives people like your mom, like moms who raised kids and don't can't have full time jobs. It gives them work. That's admirable. That's exciting. That's incredibly motivating. I think you could I would easily put farmers in that same situation um, or in that same category where it would be really exciting and fun to work with those guys. Right. Right. Totally. Uh, there was a couple of startups there that I liked. Uh, one was called Acre Trader. So these guys, now they've raised like 60 million bucks. I think Peter Thiel invested in them. And basically it's just fractional land ownership of farms. So the idea is you can buy, I could go on there today and I could put down a thousand dollars and buy a piece of a farm in North Dakota and I can make eight to 11% a year uh, on that thing. And I could diversify. I could own pieces of five farms in five different States. I do five different things. And then there's a farmer on the farm that does the work. That's leasing the farm from you. You're just owning the land. And these guys, I think the average farm that they were doing was like $2 million in size. Uh, and they did like 80 farms last year or wow. something like that. So I was like, okay, that's actually pretty good. But like they buy, they basically buy the land and then fractionally sell it off. And they, they take a broker fee plus they take a like management fee of 0.75% a year on top of that, just to manage the, the, just to be the property manager of the land. So it sounds like this conference is badass. You, you, it changed your perspective on some stuff. For sure. In fact, I actually just want to say uh, conferences in general, I think that the general rap is conferences, waste of time. You'll see that a lot on Twitter, especially from smart people. People say that. I have the exact opposite view. I think conferences are pure fucking alpha, meaning I think there's so much gains to be had at conferences. Number one, you leave your routine. And that's just frees the mind. To just like get out of the like, get yourself out of the weeds and get somewhere else. Then when you meet somebody at a conference, there's a, like just meeting people in person. Like it's so, it's so crazy. You don't have you, to do way, anything you know with that. I met Kevin. I spoke at a conference and I was just hanging out in the lobby and Kevin Van Trump came up to me and he was wearing cowboy boots and a Ramones t-shirt. And I thought <laughs> that he was like a weirdo. Like I did think that he was legit, but he was like. Uh, talking like a big game, not like bragging, but kind of like he told me his business and he had, I could, he had like a hundred thousand dollar watch on. And I was like, wait, you're telling me <laughs> he's like, yeah, I got 20,000 subscribers. I was like, Oh, sick. You guys make money through ads. He goes, Oh no paid subscription. I was like, wait, who are you? <laughs> so I, uh, by the way, he remembered you. He gave a great intro when he was introducing me. He's like, I met this guy, Sam. He used to work for American pickers and both. And he just gave, he told the whole conference about you and how great you were. It was awesome. <laughs> And so anyway, I met Kevin at a conference, which now you've been brought into the fold. This is going to influence you in some capacity. You're going to bring other people into the fold. That's why conferences are cool. Conferences are cool. Secondly, go to weird conference. So if you just keep going to the same insular, if you like, I actually think that going to conferences that are not your industry is something that nobody really does. And I've always done. Like I went to, I remember like a restaurant trade show conference and I've been to a gym conference equipment to gym owners conference. That's and cool. I've been to, 
And when you go, you just meet a whole bunch of people from a different, totally different walk of life. You see, what are they thinking about? What are they, what are their, um, what are the problems these guys are worried about? Uh, who are, and, and you, you know, I'm sure out of this, I'll get some investors for my fund. I'll get some new ideas. I'll get, I'll get some new perspective and it just makes you a more interesting person. And so I, I would highly recommend going to trade shows specifically, but like, um, it just different industry niches that are not yours and just go, go to a sneaker conference and just be like, Oh, what the hell are these sneakerheads doing? Like, who are these people? What do they do? Yeah, right. I know it's like a luxury if you, if you have the time, but, um, if you work remotely anyways, go to one of these things, spend four hours on the floor and then spend the other five hours or whatever at night, you know, working and just work from there for the week. Um, or if you're young and you don't know what to, what to do, don't just take a job, like go dabble, go travel around to three of these and you'll just have like a totally different lens of things. So, so I think that's like a hack, um, that, you know, I wanted to bring up, uh, yeah, it was crazy. And by the way, these guys, the farmers, the best thing I got from them was their little one liners, like. They were one guy was telling the story about this investment he lost a bunny, bunch of money on. And he, people were like, "Damn, you, like that, like holy shit, you must have lost a lot." He goes, "It was a sad day, but you know that's why Johnny Walker makes a blue." And uh, you know, he, and then he was just like, "Move on." And I was just like, "I'm writing these down. Like these are bars, dude. These guys are these guys are amazing." Can we? Um, are we allowed to talk about? <laughs> I think so. Why not? All right, let's talk about. So do you want to give the bat? We might want to bleep out his name. So let's let's bleep out his name. Just well, to, let's say talk about friend. His, well, let's let we'll ask him after this. But All right. we um he there's this guy named I didn't really know much about him. Somehow I got brought into this group chat that you're in, and in a weird way, I feel like I'm good friends with him now, even though we've only texted. Yeah. He uh uh how does he talk about what happened over the weekend about this app? Okay. So um <laughs> so basically here's his, his short story he's built a couple of like products honestly never really had a big hit um him and his friends have been working on they were working on a startup for, or they're working as a startup for a number of years and they were just grinding running test after test and they were really building a lot of stuff in the social space so he learned a lot of like kind of the he like cut his teeth in trying to build the next twitter next tiktok next whatever right and the, the, they were about to fail. The last thing they built, the Hail Mary, was they were like, oh, let's just create this like kind of like quiz app, this like superlatives app where it's like, oh, who at your high school is most likely to, you know, become a professional dancer or like, you know, get, go to jail or whatever. And um, it goes viral and it's called TBH. And it goes viral. It hits like number one in the app store because this the flow was basically you, you open the app, you start answering these questions about your friends. And they would text your friends being like, hey, Sean said you're most likely to X. Click here to see what else he said. I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to click that. And then you click that and then it would go on. Something something along those lines. So TBH goes viral. Facebook ends up buying it. Smart move by I kind of knew this thing doesn't have like, you know, legs to actually be the next hit social app. But, but it, it made them like, you know, a good, not like, it, I, I don't think it sold for what it was reported as. Yeah, it was reported as like $100 million. I think but it, was it less than that. made, uh, you know, a lifetime of money. Yeah, exactly. So these guys, they pull it off in the end, right? So they went from like, literally, they were about to shut it down. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's just launch this last thing. And um, and that thing hits. So then he goes to Facebook. He stays there for like fucking four, full four years. So he hits the full vest. And he's he the whole time, I don't know, he's probably bored. And he's just on Twitter. And he's like, he's what people call shit posting, which is basically like, you know, just posting jokes on Twitter. And oftentimes making fun of the tech industry. So making fun of the stuff that people in the tech industry are doing. And, um, so anyways, he, you know, people like to follow him cause he's funny. So the, over the weekend, 
So he he basically he tweeted something out last week that was like, "Hey, I'm working on I'm gonna work on a new project." He fi- I finally like left for Facebook, or whatever. Um, I'm working on a new project. I want to work with a designer. Uh, if like I'm looking for a founding designer, if you want to like you know build something amazing, work with a team that's built you know built apps, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, DM me something something along those lines. And when he quit and announced that he was quitting at Facebook, it said, "I've been at Facebook. They bought my app. I've been there for four years." Um, it really was just um, there was a lot happened, and I want to give a thread on everything that I learned. And he and and it down pointed arrow. down down like the down emoji, and there was no other threat. That was nothing it. there. Yeah, <laughs> and it was hilarious. Here's, here's what I learned: my four years of Facebook, nothing. Um, and so yeah, that was hilarious. And so people were like, "Oh, pe- people generally are excited about the next to you thing, especially all the kind of like venture investors, angel investors. This is kind of the entrepreneur you you like to back, which is." Somebody who you think is smart, who um, is a serial entrepreneur, so not their first rodeo, but also hasn't had the big win, so they still have a huge chip on their shoulder and wanna wanna make it big. So that's like a great entrepreneur to invest in, and he's pretty well networked and pretty well respected, so people want to invest in it. So he tweets that thing out looking for a designer, and then somebody else said uh, somebody two days later just tweets like, "I saw a uh, you know a mockup of a new app." Like, holy shit, it's going to, like, change everything. And this guy also is, like, a shit poster. This, this guy, uh, I think his, his handle is, like, another Cohen or something like that. And, um, and by the way, you've seen the, the the image that he's talking about. He's posted in our in our text thread before about, like, you know, here's an idea. Like, I might make this thing. And, it, it's, and, and if I remember like, correctly, it wasn't even, like... It's not a business. It's, like, oh, it's, it's like yeah. a, it's just, like, a silly idea. And it's it's like high-level ideas. Still, yeah. He's still ideating. He doesn't, exactly. It doesn't, yeah. So... Anyways, people then start memeing that guy. They're like, I just saw a new app, uh, a new app for the first time. And, you know, this wart that I've had on my toe for years just went away. And like, you know, the next person would be like, you know, uh, I showed it to eight children who were starving and now they're, you know, they're not hungry anymore. And so this goes viral as a, uh, as like a meme on Twitter. I'm going to read you some of them that were there, the good ones. They were great. They were great. Let's see. Um. There was uh, guys you, saying like, "We're happy to announce that it was Andrew Chen. We're happy to announce that we just led in a uh, hundred million dollar round into new app." Right. I can't believe they're extending. Um, I just got to a session with my therapist. She ended up asking me for tips on how to get allocation into new company, and so it just became this like meme in the tech industry. And then a lot of people were seeing it like, Dude, "What's this app?" <laughs> and so, and by the way, this this idea, this like kind of like what quote unquote growth hack, it was accidental. A, but B, really effective, and it drummed up a bunch of interest and a bunch of hype around what this new app could be. And so what he did was he created an NFT with like, a, I think he sold 69. So he's, got, he's got, oh my God, he's got this really stupid like image for his Twitter picture, but it's kind of like funny. Uh, and he made different Twitter images based off of his and 69 of them. And in if you bought one, you get early access as a beta user to his app, right? I don't know. Was that the promise? I didn't know. Yeah, that's the promise. Look at the floor price of the, what those are. So he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Nikita Shitposting Club, a collection of 69 Owners will get access to, quote, app, parentheses, there is no app. It is now available on OpenSea. <laughs> and so he links it and it sells out um, <laughs> as, as NFTs do. And I think he made, what did he make off this thing? All right. Oh, the floor has dropped. So anybody who bought this, I think, is probably not doing so hot. Um, the floor is now only 0.36 ETH, Ooh. so that's not great. But anyway, it's still $1,000, so 69 pictures for $1,000. Okay, not bad. 
so here's what I want to ask you. I, need, I want to ask you a question because you have done something similar. I didn't know before you and I, you introduced me to him. Um, I knew him as like a guy who built an app, but it seems like people revere him. Like they consider him an expert on consumer apps, um, which not saying that he isn't. He, he certainly is, <laughs> is pretty successful, it seems. But also what the fuck? <laughs> but, but also like his reputation like is so big Exceeds, where it's like, yeah. is anyone that good? That's kind of what I'm going to get. Yeah. And you've done a good job of that as well, of creating this like mystique uh, almost <laughs> yeah. out of nothing, right? Not that yes. like you weren't totally. successful ahead of time, but like you've done a really good job of building no, a dude, brand. Call, call it what... I sold my startup for less than what my investors had put in. Now, you know, the way it worked, you know, the team still did well and I made good money off of it. But like, that's not, that's the, that's not the definition of a successful business. Uh, Because there's a lot of people that have sold their companies for a lot of money. We have a, we have a a handful of buddies that are like uber rich. No one fucking knows who they are. And like, even if they told you that what they did, you'd have to like, they'd have to beg to speak at a conference. Whereas guys like you, you've got like the Daily Show reaching out to you. You've got celebrities reaching out to you who want to like get on board with you. And then it's in the same thing. Yeah, because you can make it sound good. I could say I sold my sold my last startup to Amazon. Yeah, technically I did. Technically I made money. But no, like, that's not it. That doesn't make it no. a like a huge success. You no, know, it doesn't I make me like a thought leader. I don't think that's the right way to say it because that you, you're, you're acting like you're tricking people because you've never tricked anyone ever. And I don't think has either. But what you've done is you've, You've both done this really good job of creating a little bit of mystique about. And, and what I want to know is, you can use the example, and then you. How does someone? I guess I'm asking for myself because I, how do you create so much of this like brand equity, uh, like you guys have? Well, I think in both cases, it's basically you put out, you put your thoughts on blast. So you know, the re- the real answer. And by the way, I, I say that not to make fun of any. I think did sell for a profit, so good good for them. I'm saying. I know that I've gotten disproportionate credit for my track record of success when in reality, like the best thing I've built is this D2C company that I don't tell anybody the name of. That's the profitable business that's doing eight figures a year. But like, that's not actually why people, my reputation came before that. So, you know, that's kind of weird, right? So where does the reputation actually come from? It comes from two things. One is you meet people in real life. So like you go meet, you know, the investors at these different big funds or, uh, CEOs of different companies. And when they're talking to you, they're making an independent adge- assessment of your lo- your caliber, your, based on your thoughts. All right? So so first, it's like a hand-to-hand combat thing. You meet a bunch of people, you earn their respect one-on-one by, sh- by you know, when they're talking about some deal they're doing or a company they're building, you you actually contribute by adding value, by pointing out things or or giving them criticism or or giving them feedback on what's really great. Um, or identifying to them other things that are really cool. And they say, wow, this guy really, you know, I, I got a lot out of this conversation. So you do that with like 300 people and those people matter, right? Because they have themselves influence and trust. So for example, um, you know, uh, like Josh Elman is a, is a good example. This guy was, he was early on at LinkedIn, at Facebook, at Twitter, at Robin hood, uh, like, Earlier, Sean, meaning he was and he was like head of growth at a bunch of these companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a big deal. He's been on our podcast. And so he's got, you know, people have a tremendous amount of respect for him because he's had a a tremendous career. Well, both and I have, you know, on separate occasions met, you know, met, met with Josh. And we were talking about our startup and whether our startup succeeded or failed. Josh knows, look, you're playing in the sort of like the startup lottery, startup Olympics. A startup can fail and an entrepreneur can still be really great. And 
if out of that conversation, Josh, Josh walks away thinking, oh, this person's really smart. And then they connect you to some other people that they, they know. And, and those people say, wow, Josh, thanks for the intro. Sean was really great. You develop a reputation amongst people who have a reputation. So that's the first step. Through real life interactions, you develop a reputation with people who already have a reputation so that they will retweet your stuff so that they will vouch for you when you have a project or you're doing something. And that, that goes a long way in the marketplace. Uh, so like, for example, I've had Josh or Balaji or different people who have their own big following and their own respect. If they share me or they, they, they say this person's great, then a whole bunch of other people just inherit that reputation. They, they say, oh, okay, if Josh says he's great, he's great. If Balaji says he's great, he's great. It's such a unique way of, it's almost like credibility hacking or something like that. But, but, But that's the thing I think is important is like, I'm telling you how the mechanic works, but there's this, the thing you can't just, the, the reason it's not a hack is because your, your thoughts actually have to be interesting. You have no, to actually I don't mean right? hack like you're, you're a hack. I just mean right. like you're, you're, you're the, uh, getting the desired, the, the process of getting to the desired outcome. Right. The second thing is we both created content. So now <laughs> tweets are mostly making fun of people who create content and threads and teach courses. But before that he was doing it himself, right? <laughs> he was, he himself was saying, you know, when you're building a social app, blah, 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 or here's how we grew inside high schools for TBH. And I, why did I respect him? Because he released this, this memo actually got leaked from inside Facebook. Oh that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the memo basically said, he was like, Hey guys at Facebook, here's some of the stuff we did to grow amongst teenagers. And I know Facebook wants to grow amongst teens. Here's some of the stuff we did at TBH. For example, for every high school, we would create an Instagram account for uh, branded to the high school. So it'd be like, you know, McKinley high, uh, you know, secrets and that's the Instagram account and it would be locked and we would follow anybody who had McKinley high in their profile. Then they would follow us. You know, 40% of people would follow us back. They would request to follow, but we were private. We wouldn't approve anybody's request. Then at 4 PM, when everybody got out of school one day, we would accept all the requests. So everybody simultaneously would get a notification about our account. So they would all go check it out. And then they would all see the link to download the app. And then they would download the app. And then we, and then as they were downloading the app, they'd get notifications that their friends are all downloading the app today. And it felt like a big deal. And that's how we hacked distribution into high schools. I similarly have told actually a very similar story about how we would go get, our goal was always to get half of a high school to download our app in one day. We did it a completely different way, but I've shared that on podcasts, different places or on Twitter threads. And people read that and they're like, oh, fuck, this guy's smart. That's a really smart growth tactic. This guy really understands growth. This guy really understands teens. This guy really understands social. And if, so if you just, if I like, it's that uh, quote, my, my buddy, Jason Hitchcock told me once he goes, you say one interesting thing. I say, huh, that's interesting. You say two interesting things. I say, huh, those are interesting. You say three interesting things. I say, fuck, this guy's interesting. And uh, that's really what you got to do with content is you have to, if you say three original, interesting things around one topic, whether it's Bitcoin or media or robotics or whatever, if I get three interesting things from you, I'll in my brain, I will assign that tag to you. This guy's interesting, worth watching. And then if other people endorse it and say, this is interesting, it, it goes even faster. Dude, this is, this is exciting to me. I think this is a fire episode. I'm not going to, I don't want to talk about it entirely right now because I think we should wrap here. But I, so last weekend, you when you were sick, so you probably didn't see this, I tweeted out, about SDRs, so short-term rental stuff. Did you happen to see that? I saw it, and I followed what you were talking about. Look, super interesting, your Facebook group. I want to hear more about that. Uh, so we can save it for another app if you want. We'll save it, but did you join the group? 
I didn't join the group yet. No, I didn't uh, know the name. Dude, of it. it's called Sam's SDRs or something. Yeah, like that? I just made it in the car. Like my Sarah was driving, and I just made it in the car. Such it's a got, smart way to do things, by the way. Like it's gonna sound super simple. Like oh, I just made this thing because you were curious and wanted to learn about it, right? Like you hadn't decided to do it. Yeah, but it's uh, well, I have now, but I'm still looking for a property though. But I um, Sam's STR crew. Yeah, I'll let you in. And there's like a thousand or fifteen hundred people. It's mostly all tech guys, dude. I've met you, some guys. Where'd you in get there. these people? You you tweeted it out. Just the tweet. That's it. Only that. It's all tech guys. Like it's that guy AJ uh, who owns uh, that the the pet yep. business, and then it's Nathan Barry. It's Marshall Haas. I, there's there's guys in there that I've met guys that are like billionaires, like who have sold or rather they've sold companies for a billion dollars. I met one guy who's making half a million a month in profit. He's paying himself six million dollars a year off of his uh, wow. handful of. Uh, uh, yeah, there's another guy in there who owns fifty million dollars worth of them. It's crazy. I'm learning all this in this fucking group. It's amazing. So you're gonna have to browse through that, and I'll tell you some more yeah, interesting right. we'll, stuff we'll, about we'll it. We'll start with that one next time. Does that um, interest you, dude? Of course it interests me. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's crazy. Who would have thought about about, about short term rentals and how they're crushing? It, it hits the highest level of interesting me, which is where you say, "What am I doing with my life? Why don't I do that?" All right, you basically qu- qu- question your own life is well, the highest form of interest. <laughs> the thing is, for the thing is, is that like you, you, you don't need to quote be doing it. You just need to have done it, and there is a world where you not quite set it and forget it, but like you just like you, it's not like you need to do shit all the time to it, right? And so I would say like one of the criticisms, not a criticism, but the one of my feedback for Sean and how Sean should like evolve maybe is to sometimes invest in some of these a little bit more boring, stable right. things, at least just a tiny portion of your of your money. And like, this is like a really in- interesting asset class. Have I told you about Steady? No. This is sweet. I think you'll like it. So I, uh, I actually, I think the website is cool. Steady, I want to say it's steady.capital or steadycapital.com. One second, let me pull it steady, up. Steady, if I just type in steady. Okay, do steady.capital. S-T-E-A-D-Y. How do most, uh, okay. Yeah, tell, me what, just, tell me what you see. It's a, it's a black screen, and it says, how do most millionaires build their wealth? 90% of millionaires invest in real estate. Study lets you earn passive income from real estate for $100. Okay? And then and you invest yeah. in... Okay, so Study is a web dashboard for retail investors to buy shares of income-generating commercial real estate. Commercial real estate. Make investments in senior financial reports in our dashboard and get monthly deposits from your investments directly to your bank account. We yes. do not offer high adrenaline. This is the part investments. I wanted you to read. Yeah. We do not offer high. This is this is really good copy. We do not offer high adrenaline investments. We don't have an app designed to keep your eyes glued to your phone. We pursue steady returns over hype. We are the tortoise in a race full of hares. So wonderful, good. Wonderful. So good. So who, I, who owns I re- this? So I read this. So this guy I used to play pickup basketball with, or he was on my like intramural basketball team. He, this guy Dylan, he created this company. I just kind of saw his Twitter and I was like, oh, what's that guy Dylan up to? Like, I, and I didn't even know he's a startup guy. Like, he, he's just some dude we used to play ball with. And, um, and I was like, Steady Capital, what's that? And I read this landing page and I was like, dude, what is this? I got to invest. Literally, so I invested in both his company as well as I started putting my money into Steady. This is why well, you invested in Steady? Yeah. Cause I was like, dude, this, this, this is what I want. I was like, I want to own, I want to have real estate uh, income coming in. But I don't want to do the work of like going and finding a property, diligencing it, underwriting it, taking out a loan for myself, buying the property, managing the property, all that good stuff. So what these guys do is they basically handpick um, sponsors. 
So they'll have like um, guys who have a good track record in commercial real estate, commercial real estate. They'll be like, oh, this guy buys warehouses in the middle of Texas. Um, and they basically diligence the properties for you. And then all you do, so what I do, I just said auto invest. So it's a, I just say $5,000 a month, just as, as a starting point. I was like, I'm going to invest five grand a month into commercial real estate. Cool. Over the, this year, I'll have 60 grand put into this. And then it just shows me, it's like, cool, you're going to be, you're going to break even in 18 months, but you're going to get your first check next month. And, um, the, you know, the, basically what they do is they go to that sponsor. They say, Hey, you know, you're going to raise money for this deal. Anyways, give us half a million bucks. We have this cadre of investors. We come in as one line item on your thing and we become an investor. And then you just like, we our investors want passive income through real estate investing. And he's like, he's trying to do like the Robin hood model where it's like Robin hood made it where there was no fee. You could invest for a very small amount of money. So it's like, Normally, real estate has pretty high barriers to entry for knowledge as well as the amount of money you have to put in. So his mission is like, I want to make real estate as you know investable for even a hundred dollars, and even a hundred dollars if you're earning eight percent, great, you'll earn eight dollars of passive income. And is if this you thing going to be big? You think it looks cool? I think it's a really hard business to do because you know you have to. It's like a two sided market. You have to have really yeah. you know quality deals. But honestly, like these aren't like like for example with startup investing. I don't just give my money to anybody for startup investing because I'm like, dude, are your deals any good or are they all dog shit? With real estate, it's like these are like the property. Like there's so much data about the property. It's collateralized by the property. The, the guy's got a track record. You're not looking for the next Uber, the thousand X return. You're looking for something that's going to generate eight to 10% a year or eight to 15% a year. And um, cool. Like that's doable. That's not, that doesn't take a miracle. So I really like steady, uh, I think there's currently a wait list or whatever. People have to like, dude, I just signed up that. for it. It looks sick. Oh yeah. I'll email the guy to get you in. If people want to do it, they should, they should get it. I think this is really, I think this is really good for people. Uh, like I've had, I've had multiple people ask to invest in my startup fund and I just say, no, I'm like, if you're not already wealthy, don't do this. Cause this don't use this as the way to get wealthy. You have much smarter paths to get there. If you're already, ha if you're already, you know, multimillionaire, cool. I, you should do this then to get some exposure to startups. But I think for most people, getting exposure to passive income real estate is a much better place to to build wealth if you're not already wealthy through your business or what. Hey, this is a this is a good episode. Uh, I'm, cool. uh, I, I'm interested I, in study. I have a whole bunch of other topics still, so I'll, I'll save those for Wednesday. I appreciate you holding down the fort while I was. Uh, it was hard. Down. It was hard. I think like I had to do it with Ben, and Ben's great, and but I had to, then I did it with Noah, and Noah's great, but you and I are. I mean, you're talented, which I talk about all the time. You and I together are talented, and it was very hard. With it was way harder with us. It was work. I love to hear it. I love to be needed. It, it was work, <laughs> dude. It was work. And like, I thought there's been times where I'm like, oh fuck, I could just I could handle this. It was work. It was it, like I felt like I was working. By the way, if people haven't listened to the episode you did with Ben on the Silk Road, it's on our feed. It's a special. I think it's called special episode Silk Road. I don't know what yeah. it's called. Go listen to that. I listened to that while I was sick. I fucking loved it. Because uh, I've been meaning to read American Kingpin for so long. You told me it was so good. And I'm just like, back to I just not reading it. And uh, so listening to that gave me my fix. And it it's like, you know, the best kind of Netflix shows where after it's done, you then go down the rabbit hole and research more for like an hour on your phone in the middle of the night under the covers. Like, that's what I was doing about. The so, dude, after. dude, that one, I think we were prepared for 45 minutes. It wasn't a lot. But we were both so fascinated by that topic. And I think you... Something happened where you weren't able to come and right. we found last minute and we're like, let's just do this, Ben. And so we're <laughs> going to do another one on uh, a guy called, Ma I forget the, there's another version. There's another like 
juicy one. But uh, I just bought the book. I'm gonna go read it and like do it. That's those episodes were fun. And Ben's really good at that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And you guys play off each other really well. The one thing I really wanted to know, because while you're here, I'll get you. How did they catch him? So you you had said like basically they traced his. Uh, you had said okay he had he he had originally posted on this forum saying ah uh, yeah hey so, has anybody seen this thing and then also that um that they you know caught him in the library right down the street from you so I got those bits but I wanted to yeah, know how like, they know it was him yeah and um yeah like I think there was a bunch of details about like the investigation like that the, the cop chase basically uh yeah so basically was what- there more there. It was, you know, it's so funny. There's this episode of South Park where they're trying to like track this terrorist and the boys are like, dude, just like do a reverse Google search and like, like just use Google. And that's what they did. And so the very first post ever about the Silk Road was written from a username. And that same username posted a few weeks prior to Stack Overflow saying, I'm building a website that is trying the to do this. Oh, uh, yeah. Can you please email me Ross Albright at gmail.com. <laughs> and then you. they like did a, they like used a web archive because once they, once he once Ross caught his air, he changed his username from like Altoid to like frosty or something yeah. like that. But it was on the web where like he was asking, he, he used a username to post about, I've created a website or no, sorry. He created a username. It says, has anyone heard about this new thing called Silk Road? And that was the first time anyone ever mentioned it. But just weeks prior, that same username asked about like how to build an exchange or something like that. Gotcha. And then they found out who this Ross guy was. And then they realized that, um, oh, we just like went to this guy's house recently as Homeland secu- Security because he ordered like 18 IDs with his <laughs> picture, but for like different states with different names. Let's keep an eye on him. And they found out basically was like, all right, whenever. And so they had a fake FBI, they had an FBI guy become an employee of the Silk Road. Right. And Ross or Dread Pirate Roberts, the owner, would say, like, all right, I got to log off to go blank. They noticed that Ross would walk out of his house and go for a walk. Right. Like they, they, so they just tracked him or they're like, all right, I got to go to Dominican Republic to do blank. And they're like, oh, Ross is in Dominican Republic on vacation, according to his Facebook. Right. And so they knew the, the the FBI, the day he was arrested, he got arrested in the library right down the street from my house in Glen Park. And they said, basically, the FBI was, do not arrest him. We got to get a SWAT team. And they're like, dog, he's on his computer right now. We're chatting with him. And he's they like log- tackled him, right? He's like, logged, logged in logged this in. second. We know we're having a conversation with him. And so they had two FBI agents. He was sitting at a chair uh, in the science of this library that I used to go to. He was sitting at a desk in a chair. And... They go. They had two FBI agents dressed as kind of homeless people go right behind him and get into a fight where the guy was like, "Bitch, what are you doing here?" And the lady was like, <laughs> "Fuck you, man. You don't know." Like you know, like they got in like a domestic disturbance, and so he turns his back. And when he turns his back, the other FBI agents one tackles him, and the other one swipes his computer from his so desk good. and runs it straight to the van. And they plug it. They already had the. They knew that he was using a PC. They had the outlet right there. They turn the video camera on and they start filming them. They go, look, here's the fucking he's on the dashboard right now. As we speak, here's us. We were, we're literally just talking to him and then they plug a USB in and they like they get a lot of the stuff out before the computer goes to sleep and is locked. And so that's and how, how is there no them. movie? Like, I know there's like a kind of a shitty, a shitty about movie. It. Why is not there movie. an amazing movie about this? There needs to be. It's such a good story. The, the The book American Kingpin is the best book I've read in years and years. It is such a fascinating story. And it's also, as we said in the podcast, it's an incredibly challenging story for someone like me because this guy Ross looks like me, right? Like when you hear about gangsters and shit, yeah. they're usually like poor, oftentimes minorities. And like, well, that's like the other. That person's not 
you know, I, I don't, I don't relate to that person. Ross was uh, from a good family, a white guy, a good looking dude who lived in San Francisco, played on computers, had these ideals of like, I want to help the world. And you're like, oh, he's just like me. Right. But he's a fucking criminal who tried to like <laughs> supposedly wanted to kill people and sold more drugs than Al Capone. And so it makes you question like what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, dude, it's so good. Go listen to the episode if you if you like that little bit. But it was really good. So that that definitely got me through one of the one of the COVID fever nights. I'm in, I'm in I got my fever going. I'm listening to the Silk Road. I got all kinds of crazy ideas in my head. It was awesome. All right, that's the episode. Oh, um, we have to do one thing before we before we yeah. go. So we um, two or three weeks, per, uh, four weeks ago at this point, we did a contest on TikTok where we were going to give five thousand dollars to at least one person who created videos about using our YouTube videos and chopped them up and posted them on whatever platform and used our clips. So the end result on TikTok alone, our hashtags in like the first two weeks got something like 30 million views. Do you know that? Damn. Um, and we're giving... Jonathan, confirm in the chat. Are we giving it two to the people that I think it's the cartoon? Let me know. But the first guy... That were yeah okay and it's the uh, the first guy we're giving it to his name on TikTok I believe was MFM Minis I think his name is Michael and he posted a bunch of videos a few of them got more than a million views no, no, his no, MFM hand, cuts right I'm sorry is it, oh, yeah I can't get that wrong because there was an <laughs> MFM Minis as well Jonathan tell me exactly who the winner is in the chat I can't get that wrong M- MFM cuts is the winner and this person got something like so MFM cuts that's the winner MFM cuts that's the winner. This person got like 30,000 followers on their TikTok channel in like 10 or 15 days, millions of views. They won. And then the second place person who also gets $5,000, I think they're called um, Tune Pods. Is that Pod what they're tune. called? Po- Say it again. Pod Tune. Mr. Pod Tune. So they and, turn podcasts into cartoons like South Park style. We've retweeted a couple of them because they're awesome. And they are hilarious. They are really good. So the best one was where I was making fun of you for not wearing a shirt. hilarious really good i have a feeling both of these guys are going to end up making a lot of money by uh turning this into a business and i bet they already have yeah exactly um good job good job by them by the way mfm cuts the guy he is in university still when i emailed him he he's 19 i love it uh good job by them and and so can are is this still going can people still like win next month a different like a different person can win or no yeah, we're going to keep doing it. We got to wait. I got to wait till Jonathan tells me we're allowed to announce it. But we are going to continue doing it because we saw uh, in December, our podcast, basically in November, we were like just shy of a million. In December, we basically skipped over a million and went straight to two million. Yeah. And I think that that TikTok thing was one of the reasons why it happened. One of a couple of reasons. Yeah. And did we do this other winner too? the 60 minute thing? We'll announce that next time. Okay, sounds good. Uh, All right, I got to go. Good stuff. Good seeing you again. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Good episode.